Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, lecturer in philosophy for Catholic Studies Academy. And today we are going to kind of end our series that we've been doing on uh, Marxism and all of its wonderful benefits. Where we left off off last time was... um, was with the revolt of the proletariat, a very exciting, uh, <laughs> exciting part of the story, the, the high point mm-hmm. we ran out of time. So uh, right. what we want to do today is uh, kind of continue the story a little bit from there, um, but also uh, uh, critique Marxism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's very I thought you said we were talking about the benefits of Marxism. <laughs> <today>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is that a hammer and sick lesson over there yeah that would be a very short that would be a very short podcast if we were talking about the benefits of marxism but uh, uh dr smith all right so to get us started uh let's kind of uh pick up where where we left off we had talked about the uh, marxist critique of capitalism uh and how he saw the, the the role of revolution kind of playing um uh playing a big part in uh, bringing about his kind of Hegelian view of of freedom and this kind of utopia. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, the the criticism that Marx, you know, some of the, the central criticism that Marx has um, of capitalism, right, has to do with the idea that it's exploitative um, and uh, because it degrades uh, the worker who has to sell his labor, right, mm-hmm. to uh, the capitalist who owns the means of production. Uh, so it degrades his freedom and his dignity and alienates him from the value of the products that he makes. Um, so those are, you know, sort of the criticisms of capitalism. Uh, those are sort of, like, I guess you can say, the, the technical criticisms. In addition to that, right, he thinks there's a kind of contradiction built into capitalism which is that because of the of its necessarily competitive nature, mm-hmm. um, there's going to be among capitalists, you know, a desire to acquire more and more capital uh, in order to secure their own freedom and uh, status within society. And um, and you know, it's important to say Marx isn't just trying to vilify capitalists. And that he just thinks it's kind of part of the system, right? It's not yeah. as if like you know. Uh, you know, Joe Blow capitalist is sitting around thinking, ah, I just want to exploit those workers. And, you know, it's, it's more just like, you know, this is just the way the system works. Right. Um, so um, uh, because of that competitive nature or the competitive, uh, the competition between capitalists, one of the things that's going to happen is um, there's going to need to be um, a decrease in the cost of labor. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the ways uh, that you get an advantage that a capitalist gets one of capitalists gets advantage over the other is by controlling costs, keeping costs down. And that inevitably is going to end up meaning uh, uh, downward pressure on the uh, value of labor. Um, this is going to. This causes a contradiction in capitalism, because what it means then is that those the very customers who buy the products or many of the products. Uh, that are produced by the capitalist will will gradually lose the ability to afford those products, right? Uh, and so, what you end up with then is um, uh, as la- as the as the value of labor decreases, 
demand drops, right? Which leads to, um, you know, uh, basically a depression uh, or at least a recession. Uh, eventually, this also means that uh, capitalists will push the wages below um, the means of subsistence uh, yeah. in order to uh, maximize their own uh, competitive uh, position. And so for those two reasons, right, capitalism will inevitably collapse. The proletariat will inevitably uh, revolt. Now, within, con within socialist, among socialist thinkers, there was an ongoing debate during the time of Marx between what were called Fabian socialists and mm -hmm. Marxists. Fabian socialists wanted a kind of gradual legal transition to um, uh, communism yeah. or socialism. Um, you know, Marx said that can't be. He said it has to be revolution. Yeah. It has to be a revolution because people won't willingly give up their private property. At the end of the day, right, um, there will at least be a, at least a, a large portion of society will be unwilling to, to, to give up its status and give up its freedom, uh, or at least what they conceptualize as their freedom. So at, at least I'll give it to Marx. Like he, he's produced one of the most exciting philosophies. Like, you know, you have the Fabian socialist. Well, let's just, you know, bring this about kind of more of an uh, uh, evolutionary way. Right, Marx right. is like, no revolution. Like we gotta, mm -hmm. we gotta, yeah. this, we gotta speed this train up, you know? Workers speed of the world up. unite, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's important, and it's interesting because you know it, it goes to the idea that, and Marx, you know, recognizes this that again he thinks that capitalism was a necessary stage uh, in the development of history and the material dialectic. Yeah. But he also thinks that it has to be overcome, and it really has to be overcome through force of arms. It has to be um, brought down and really destroyed. And and there's almost a kind of it's almost kind of a cleansing. Uh, yeah. effect right in the revolution you notice the the kind of fervor with which marxist um frankly destroy things <laughs> right um and, and and there's a reason to that right i mean what they see is you remember if that structure superstructure characteristic you know like one of the things that they did in say cambodia uh when um uh the marxists took over in cambodia you know, is they, they just literally, uh, I don't know if anybody remembers this movie. It was a very famous movie when I was a kid. It was a movie called The Killing Fields. And, uh, you know, they would literally take um, teachers and um, professors and any of the kind of intellectual cast, right? Yeah. And they literally would just take them into the killing fields and kill them. Um, and they thought it was a necessary mo movement, right? Motion or change, right? Because... See, those people were stuck, in their view, in a pre-revolutionary way of thinking. And so they needed to be eliminated in order to uh, bring about the revolutionary state. Um, it's no accident, right, that, you know, you know there was the, the, um, the kind of uh, purges in China, right, mm -hmm. where, you know, like just, just being socialist wasn't enough, right? There needed to be the Great Leap Forward where there's this kind of, deep cultural transformation that needed to take place. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, uh, were killed, right, uh, yeah. during, uh, during the Great Leap Forward. Uh, you know, it, you see, look at pictures of that times, everybody's going around in what looks like pajamas to us, 
right, to Americans anyways, with this same uniform kind of thing, right? And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it is a radical position. Like, don't, nobody, anybody who thinks that they're a Marxist and isn't willing to get their hands dirty doesn't understand really what, what Marxism sees, right, um, as um, necessary, right, in order to, to really bring about uh, freedom from capitalism, liberation from capitalism. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's one of the most frightening uh, frightening things of, about it is that they don't see like here is one way to bring about this utopia, mm-hmm. but this is a necessary step. That's right, and it, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. I mean yeah it's like, I mean like pulling the bandaid off you know like yeah. <laughs> it's gonna hurt but it's necessary you know like right. uh, uh, this you know we need to kind of you know. Uh, and it's almost, you know, like you said, I mean, you know, we need to cleanse the world or we need to cleanse this mm-hmm. area of that. Now, what was what was Marx's kind of uh, vision for mm-hmm. how he saw his philosophy played out? Yeah, so uh, this is an area where he says the least, interestingly. <laughs> uh, but what he does say is uh, intriguing and uh, illustrative. After the revolution, there is a period which he calls the dictatorship of the proletariat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, you know, um, where basically the, the people, the proletariat, the workers now rule. And he says dictatorship, and he means it, right? It's through dictate, right? Um, uh, now, he sees this as perfectly fine and not a contrary to freedom. Uh, rather, it's an expression of freedom. Right? It's the freedom of the proletariat, right, um, to to do the right thing, right? It's the freedom of the proletariat uh, seizing and controlling the means of production so that all of us can be free together mm-hmm. in our creativity. Um, uh, so um, now what, what really works out, of course, is that what we have is a party, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Marxism, like Nazism, is a totalitarian one-party system, right? See, Jason, like there couldn't be multiple parties, right? Because the the dictatorship of the proletariat represents the 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 proletariat, right? It represents the workers. It represents the full realization of freedom in work, right? right. And so, if there was any alternative, what would it be? It'd be some sort of reactionary. Uh, deadening, um, enslaving kind of um, party, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so uh, the dictatorship in the dictatorship proletariat, then there is a party, and that party rules. Um, it's it, that party is meant to be is the expression of the people. It is the expression of the proletariat, um, and um, uh, it is a totalitarian rule. It, is, it controls everything. Um, uh, and it must do so, right? Because superstructure follows structure. Uh, and so culture, you know, all of that sort of thing, right, uh, is um, um, controlled by the party. Again, though, th- for Marx, this isn't creepy. <laughs> <Strictly enough. laughs> for Marx, this really is an expression, again, of freedom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is the, the, you know, the realization of freedom in uh, work. Now, eventually, what's supposed to happen, right, is under the dictatorship of the proletariat, 
man is transformed. Mm. Uh, there's a, a, a regeneration of the human being within the Marxist um, state, within the proletariat, sorry, the dictation of the proletariat, in which man loses his acquisitive nature. Man loses his sense of this is mine and that's yours. Uh, man comes to identify himself um, with the proletariat, right? His class identity becomes his primary sense, right? Yeah. Uh, he fully internalizes the idea of work as freedom, right? Um, which is interesting, right? Um, so it's kind of the opposite direction that the Hegelian kind of dialectic goes. In the Hegelian dialectic, you go from subjective to objective freedom, right? right? Here you go from objective freedom to subjective freedom. When this regeneration occurs, and I think you really should almost kind of see this in a kind of quasi-eschatological religious way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the state will simply wither away. It won't be necessary for there to be laws, dictates, right? to the workers in order for them to um, um, work and not own, right? Uh, that's just what they'll do because they have fully internalized um, the lesson of freedom uh, in terms of that freedom uh, is work. Wow, <laughs> that's, I mean, good <laughs> night, yeah. So. First off, like the, I mean, his his anthropology is, is completely inconsistent throughout mm -hmm. his philosophy. Well, yeah, what do you like, mean by that? Towards the end, you know, it seems like he has such a high view of the human uh -huh. person that they can simply uh, uh, shed away the things that are brought about by you know original sin and things like that. Now, granted, he doesn't uh, recognize original sin or or probably yeah, any yeah. of that, but but uh, mm -hmm. uh, he has such a high view of the human person that these things, you know, and even the language, you know, it, it, it falls away or it, it gets dissolved or disappears. Right. Like withers away. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's never happened. In like, <laughs> or that's never happened with like people having power. <laughs> like this. Yeah. 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 So what he really thinks about I mean, this is why this structure substructure thing is so important. Yeah. 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 Uh, he really thinks that once you have that new structure, consciousness will be transformed. You, like you will cease to be a capitalist thinker. Right, you will cease to be a. Uh, it's a, it's an anthropology in which man really does evolve in rather dramatic ways. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, from classical culture to medieval culture to capitalist culture, um, consciousness really changes. And under a Marxist system, we'll begin to see that um, our social relations are everything. Yep. That relations of production are everything. That. Uh, and we'll feel that, right? Like our, our uh, even our emotions, right, will be tuned into that, right? Uh, and we'll see our own freedom in work, in cooperation with others, right? That is that, that we all have to kind of do this together, right, in a non-acquisitive way. Otherwise, none of us will be able to do it. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and it's really hard right now to not turn this into a commentary on contemporary culture. But <laughs> I'm, trying to, well, I'm trying to stay focused on, on, on Marx, the man, the philosopher, the philosopher. But it is interesting, and it makes sense. You know, it, it, it provides, uh, I think, a lot of context for some of the things we hear today, because I think to some years it's very foreign. Um, but when you hear it within the context of not just Marx, but uh, uh, Hegel um, uh, mm -hmm. and how he sees this, this, this played out, um, mm -hmm. it's really, really interesting. Um, so so, it where, is, it is, so yeah. where do we go? Where do we go from here? So there's this, there, it brings about this, this kind of utopia, I guess, of, mm -hmm. of uh, where we just kind of live in this freedom and we work in our creativity. And does he ever, does he? acknowledge or see anything as uh, as like this becomes the permanent state then yeah pretty much i mean he sees this as a that this is again this is the material dialectic so it's the this is you know the the you know realm of total freedom yeah some marxists will call it um uh it has a little bit of the flavor of kant's kingdom of ends actually um <clears throat> but um Essentially, you know, he thinks that that this will spread throughout the globe. Um, you know, sometimes people associate Marxism <clears throat> with Russia, and I always try to kind of correct them and say, "Well, you really should say the Soviet Union." The reason I do that is not just because I'm being persnickety, but because really identifying with a nation, a state, a family, a religion, all of that is just a distraction in Marx's view. Mm. It's really in principle about international communism, international uh, socialism, and that socialism will just spread throughout the world a little bit of time or dramatically, not exactly sure, but uh, it'll spread throughout the world. And this will, once we have global socialism, all the governments will wither away uh, and then you know we'll reach the end of history. Sounds exciting, yeah. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it, you know? Wow. And so the way he conceptualizes it, you know, it's like, you know, you like to do things like um, uh, do some woodwork, right? Sure. You, you enjoy woodwork. And uh, so, you'll, you know, you'll build, you know, um, you'll, you know, you'll spend some time building stuff, uh, maybe reading some books. Um, you know, I like, you know, doing some fishing and mm -hmm. things like that. So, you know, we'll just kind of gravitate towards what we, what the kinds of create areas of creativity, right. That, that attract us. And, you know, you know, I don't need you know, in this new system where we don't have competition or, or, or private ownership, you know, I catch five fish, I give you a couple of fish and you're like, Hey, I got this extra thing I made. I'll, I'll give that to you you know, like this extra table or something like that, um, and so on, right? So, yeah. you know, and, and then maybe one day you're like, you know, I want to go fishing. You just go fishing. Like, you don't have to talk, talk call your boss. There's no <laughs> boss. And, you know, you could just come get my fishing poles because they're there. They're not even my fishing poles, yeah. right? They're just fishing poles. And you get the fishing poles <laughs> and you go and, you know, it's it, so it's kind of a spontaneous order. Did he, did he ever critique? Did he ever give, did he ever like recognize any weaknesses within his own philosophy or no? no. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think his relative silence over yeah. uh, um, sort of the end state of things indicates that he didn't really have it figured out. Sure. Um, 
But I think if you were going to, you know, if you were a Marxist, I think what you would say is, you know, it's not quite possible for revolutionary consciousness to fully grasp what consciousness will be after the dictatorship of the proletariat because we don't have that consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, it's it's a very kind of uh, uh, you have to think of it in kind of eschatological terms, like the way we think about like what's heaven going to be like, like that's how yeah. they see like how do we think of you know uh, uh, the end of man like it's uh, it's mind-boggling it's yeah 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 it's, it's kind of like talking about eternal life like what's that like well you know we can give you some ideas some rough ideas right but it's very difficult to say much you know about it specifically right um and that's the same thing we can say about you know the end of history uh, consciousness will be totally transformed. So we, even if you're a Marxist right now and you're part of the revolution, right, it's still going to be difficult for you to conceptualize, you know, well, yeah. going forward. Uh, it would be interesting after all the dust settles, I'd like to see uh, some of the, you know, what, what some of these, um, uh, what, what are they called, Jason? Like there was this kind of independent autonomous zone that was set up in oh, yeah, some city in the Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they changed their name, yeah. Okay, um, so what was Chaz? What did it stand for? Do you remember? It was the Capitol Hill Autonomous Protest. Or okay. First, it was Autonomous Zone, then it turned to Autonomous Protest. Okay, I like Autonomous Zone. But was, I'd be interested, like to, uh, like I say, when all the dust settles, to kind of look at if they had any writings or recorded any of their conversations about their form of organization, uh, just to kind of you know like listen in on it. But, anyways. Um, <laughs> The uh, always trying to learn, Jason. Um, so um, now, of course, there's a lot to say in terms of criticizing this. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a million things you could say that are economic and historical. Um, you know, the the bloody history. I mean, just the overwhelmingly bloody history of the Soviet Union, Cambodia, China. Um, it really is is staggering, yeah. um, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, I want to just talk some, I think it would be more useful if, if we just kind of focus on the philosophy here. One of the things that's uh, important philosophically, of course, and maybe the foundation is the view of the human person. Um, I know, Jason, this is something you always kind of bring us back to. Uh, you know, there's something right and correct in what Marx says, so I want to start with that. Mm-hmm. We are social animals. Um, Social relations do matter. Um, uh, I think sometimes that's undervalued uh, by uh, Catholics or by um, kind of conservative thinkers. Uh, Not all, but sure, to be sure. But I think sometimes that's undervalued, right? That we are social animals. Social relations do help to define us. One of the things I like to say very often when I'm teaching virtue ethics and things of that nature, natural law, those are your social roles. You know, a lot of your moral duties really just come down to the fulfillment of your social roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like on a day-to-day basis, you know. Um, so, you know, the um, um, I think that's something you have to recognize. It's correct about uh, Marx's view, and certainly it's something that was incorrect. I think in the kind of individualism that was, say, uh, prevalent in in England and America um, at the time in which Marx is working. Yeah. That said, of course, you know, Marx is completely wrong <laughs> to say that that's all we are, right? Yeah. Or that freedom um, 
or that freedom consists in work, right? Um, I think work can be an expression of freedom, right? Um, it can be, um, but our freedom is much broader, right? Than man, the worker, uh, man, the tool user. Um, it's a highly truncated view of the human person uh, and uh, the human good. Um, I think, you know, you, does that make sense, Jason? Yeah, yeah. Even when you look at kind of like what, like what we just talked about, kind of the, the, the end of man towards the end there, like we could see like, like you know, just, just let's pull out his little vision of utopia or whatever. Like that sounds like a beautiful communion of persons where we, 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 think, with, we think with one mind, we think with, you know, maybe even love. Uh, uh, you know, like it, it sounds good. It sounds attractive if you just look at it, you know, kind of superficially or you just hear it. And I think that's what, you know, kind of attracts people to uh, uh, to something like that to some degree where we where we're living in this this harmony, this uh, like you said, this communion. So, I mean, you, you recognize that something about the human person that um, that they mm-hmm. that they are that they are, are made for these these social relationships. They're made for this this communion. Now, right. everything else surrounding mm-hmm. that and, you know, how he, how exactly he, he is, <laughs> is another story, but, but you could see, you know, again, glimmers of kind of a, a truth to, to what he's pointing out um, to man, you know? So, yeah, I'll give him that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, even, but you know, it's interesting that even where he's right, he seems like he gets it wrong in a sense. Like I, I think it's interesting because he end up defining yourself entirely by what you do and what you make, you know, by your, your sort of your production, your creativity. And that seems to me to be a false definition. Um, And really, you know, Marx, you know, this idea of consciousness raising comes from Marxism. And one of the primary tasks of a revolutionary is to uh, raise class consciousness, to make the proletariat aware of itself as the proletariat. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, one of the things that Marx found was that um, oftentimes factory workers don't make very good revolutionaries. <laughs> <They're> not, <laughs> sometimes they just don't buy it, right? They're yeah. sort of like, I really just want to keep my job uh, and go home, and I don't want to overthrow society. Um, but um, uh, so one of the tasks of a you know communist. Uh, or you know, Marxist uh, agitator is to raise uh, class consciousness. Well, you know, uh, and that means defining yourself as a worker and as a victim, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a part of the proletariat, uh, victim of exploitation, that's wrongheaded, right? That's just uh, misguided and not the truth about the human person. Um, and it sort of drops out. We haven't really gotten to this, and, and, and you know, I just want to mention it. But Marxism is antithetical to the family. Absolutely antithetical to the family. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, it believes that the family is just a is a is a is a retrograde reactionary economic unit um, that really needs to be eliminated. You know, every time I hear a government official talk about our children, I start to like get the heebie-jeebies <laughs> because uh, that's a technical term. Um, <laughs> because that's straight Marxist talk, man. I mean, like yeah. they don't really in an ideal Marxist world. You know, people might come together to make children, but you wouldn't have a family. You'd have just sort of like the, uh, you know, the dictation of the proletariat. You'd have state-run child care centers, um, 
and uh, state-run education um, and state-run kind of uh, nursery workers. I don't know what you call them. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. Um, in the dictatorship proletariat, you know, just people would kind of spontaneously come together to take care of kids, you know, yeah. at different times or whatever. But it wouldn't be like they're your children, Jason, right? I mean, you might make some children with somebody, you know, but then you just kind of, you know, you gravitate over to somebody else or you got something else going on. You know, but there's going to be some people who spontaneously want to care for, for children too, right? Um, it's interesting at the extremes of Marxism and the extremes of libertarianism, there's both, both of them have this belief in spontaneous order. Uh, yeah, that's, that's almost kind of a little magical, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, and, and it seems the only so, way they could justify uh, but I think it. That, it seems that the only way they could justify it is they kind of just say that there's, there's this, this real evolutionary step in man's consciousness that we can't even describe like this. So like you said, awakening or kind of just a, a, a realization mm. where they come to this right. new level that we can't even, we're on such a low yeah. level. We can't even regeneration, uh, man. That's yeah, what I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like baptism, you know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Exactly. That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think um, what you described so, you know, another, here, I think what you described about parents, I think that's chapters one through three in a brave new world. Uh, if anybody wants to go, uh, if anybody wants to go read that. That's right. Um, so the, um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so the anthropology is deeply flawed in the sense that it overdefines man uh, in terms of work, in terms of freedom, and rejects elements of the definition that should be kept. For example, our uh, role as um, family members and even our role as, as um, members of a nation, right? So, you know, nations uh, are, are, again, Marxism is antithetical to nation states. Right. Uh, it doesn't believe in you being French or Irish or American, right? Those are things that are really just a distraction. Those are not part of your definition. So oddly enough, right, even though Marxism insists on, on uh the importance of social relations, it's really only one kind of relation, the relation of productions, the family relations, national relations, so much of what goes into, you know, enriching our lives and helping us to understand ourselves and navigate our lives, you know, he just wants to get rid of, right? It just sees it as uh, a distraction uh, that really needs to be eliminated. It's, those are barriers to freedom, right, in his view. Yeah, which is kind of weird because he says, you know, a, a person is their social relationships, but... We need mm -hmm. to get rid of all of these social relationships. Yeah, uh, they're the ones that don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those, those, those relationships are not relations of production narrowly defined. And Marx is very clear about this idea that that's, that's the number one thing. This is why Marxists are always antithetical to the traditional family, yeah. right? They, you know, they want to get rid of the family and they want to get rid of the nation state. That's why they're always globalists, right? Uh, they're the original globalists, right, in that right. sense. Um, so it's not as if you have like a hierarchy or something like that's all going to be eliminated, right? Uh, it, it, into just one sort of classless, familyless, nationless um, whole, right? Wow. <laughs> so all of that I think is really, you know, I mean, frankly, depressing. I like, you know, I like that there are people who are Irish and the people that there are, I, you know, I kind of like the idea that the French are grumpy. And that they have their own ways and they're, they're very insistent on that. I think that's great. You know, yeah. um, 
I think that's part of the richness of humanity, right? I like the fact that, uh, you know, the culture of Thailand uh, is way different than the culture of the United States of America. Um, you know, uh, that's like a genuine kind of international diversity, I think is actually healthy for, uh, for, for humanity. Uh, it helps us, again, those ties, those customs really inform us. You know, you think about the things that in your life, Jason, that are meaningful, so much of them are are mediated through family and through national custom, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and I think that's 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 worth um, you know uh, worth worth conserving. Yeah, and we've even talked about it before on the podcast with regards to patriotism. How right, you know, even right. St. Thomas includes you know discussion on patriotism when he talks about sure. piety and when he that's talks right. about the fourth commandment. So mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. these things with with father and mother and motherland and and all of these things they uh-huh, really uh-huh. kind of uh, uh they're all they're all related in a beautiful way and you, when you start to erode the family or mm-hmm. erode patriotism or erode right. you know any sort of any sort of um uh, uh, pride or or devotion mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. uh uh it, it, it again it it's it's part of who we are it's part of right, the, the, right, the design right. that god made us with and sure. you do horrible damage to to ignore it or to try to uh-huh. even worse to try to destroy it as in marx's case mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely you know closely tied to that uh jason is uh, the rejection of leisure as a good yeah. um and you know we've talked about that before on this podcast maybe a long time ago now uh but um you know the 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 leisure is the basis of culture to steal the title of, you know, Joseph Pieper's uh, great little book, yeah. uh, you know, for, for the, in a classical view, although, and maybe this is a little overstated, mm-hmm. but in a classical view, work is bona mutile, right? It's a useful good, right? Uh, it's what you do that, in an odd sort of way, it's what you do that isn't necessary where we find our greatest freedom and greatest goods, right? Um, It's not necessary to being alive to uh, contemplate God, to read sacred scripture. It's not necessary to being alive to enjoying the arts or culture or, you know, uh, just watching a game of football or whatever it is, right? You know, that those are leisure things, right? It's not, it's not, you know, like family gatherings. We're, we're in what I like uh, this season during the summer. I like to call the uh, Patan death march of birthdays. But anyways, in my family, <laughs> it's, just endless. it's just one birthday after another. I'm kind of a curmudgeon about that. But anyways, like really, anyways, another birthday. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, in truth, you know, those family celebrations aren't necessary for life, you know. But they're actually what makes life good and rich, you know. Uh, you wouldn't only want to do those things, but they are actually what what um, makes life worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. There's a big difference between uh, uh, surviving and flourishing. That's right. And yeah, and yeah. the the those those points of leisure that you pointed to, and just mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, those are those those are the things that make the human person flourish, and and, and all of the virtues. And mm-hmm. then the, the the beautiful part is in that th- those virtues flow into their work, sure. uh, to where you know you have uh, good and honest lawyers. Mm-hmm. You have uh, right. you know uh, you know I, I don't mean to be whatever, but uh, <laughs> lawyers. But uh, you know you have you have these these virtuous 
citizens mm-hmm. that, that again, transform the culture, transform uh, uh, their work. And, 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 you know, in return, right. their work, uh, you know, transforms them. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's an extension of, right. of, of, of uh, not, not, I don't want to say of, of necessary of who they are, but, but mm-hmm. it is an extension of their, their, their creativity. And uh, um, it's, it, it, you know, it's, um, it, again, it's, it's flourishing. It's, right, right, you know, right. we're not, we're not, whereas, whereas Marxism, when you start just stripping away all of these things, like these, these social relationships, you don't need family. Well, I mean, you think about your life now, like what life without my family, gosh, I would be right. Yeah, or, yeah. or life without, you know, uh, um, any sort of, private property or something wow i didn't know right. anything like what would that like when you think about you know you think about all these yeah. things and uh again it would it seems you know in our view and again we don't have the the elevated consciousness yet but it just right. seems that it would be um um yeah slavery yeah um, right. <laughs> you know the uh uh one thing that's interesting about it is this t- is closely tied the rejection of leisure is closely tied to um the critique of religion yeah. Um, because, you know, like, you know, you spend like all this time praying, right? Like reading an old book, uh, you know, written in the Middle East. Like, why? why? Like, that just yeah. seems, it's just pointless. That's not a, that's not a relation to production. It doesn't make you a worker. Uh, there's nothing you're producing. You're just sitting there, right? <laughs> you know, and inside of your own head. One of the things, this is why Marxism is so inimical to religious life, especially contemplative life. Uh, you know, they want to get rid of the monasteries as much as possible because, yeah. you know, they don't produce anything. They just sit there and pray, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, maybe you could say the Benedictines makes their, make their gardens, but that doesn't really, you know, uh, redound to um, overall productivity. Um, they spend way too much time praying, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, they could make way much more beer if they if they stop praying. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of goes back to the you know, like kind of like the like Judas, you know, like like why like why are you spending all that time painting icons, you jerk? Yeah. Right. Instead, why aren't you feeding the poor? Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, or something like that. And you're like, well, because icons are beautiful. That's why. And yeah. and and beauty, you know, makes life better. Right. For the poor too. Right. Um, but anyways, uh, uh, I think that's an important, you know, understanding that Marxism too narrowly defines the human person is important. Yeah. Understanding uh, that once you've done that, right, then the good of the human person becomes too narrowly defined as well. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so you end up rejecting leisure, art, culture, all those sorts of things uh, uh, as well. Uh, I, I don't want to run in long here but i got at least one other point i want to bring out and that is the the subordination so again allied with that is uh, along those lines is the subordination of thought to politics Mm -hmm. um once you've made these moves right and accepted this anthropology and accepted the material dialectic accepted the idea that you know uh between superstructure and structure um ultimately right some thought is capitalist thought some thought is revolutionary thought right Mm -hmm. and then finally some thought is um uh you know um, proletariat thought right and 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 what that means then is that because you know in this view right thought 
is produced by your material conditions, right? Thoroughly materialist view. Um, Now, I want to say, I do think that material conditions influence the way we think. Absolutely. I think that that's true. And I think sometimes it gets undervalued. You know, uh, um, you know, sometimes we want overly intellectual and grandiose uh, explanations of things when really just the material description or explanation is, is uh, you know, um, uh, sufficient or, or at least uh, highly explanatory. Um, at the same time, uh, though, it's, it's, it's wrongheaded and um, misguided, right, mm-hmm. to think that the material conditions determine thought. Uh, what you end up then doing is saying thought, and this is literally where the phrase political correctness comes from, that, that some thought is politically correct and other thought is not, right? And, and like what we're doing right here, you know, Catholic Studies Academy certainly is not politically correct from a Marxist perspective, right? right. Um, what we're doing by saying the things we're saying, by ha- thinking the things we're thinking, uh, we are um, opposing and subverting the revolution, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, that means that, that, that this kind of speech is not, not incorrect or false, but bad. It's counter-revolutionary, right? It's evil, to use a, a moral term. Um, and, and, and we're, you know, sort of, counter-revolutionary people for saying it, right? Um, So the truth, intellectual rigor, those are no longer the primary criteria, right, for thought. Mm -hmm. Rather, the primary criteria for thought is, is it politically correct? I don't mean that in any fuzzy way. I mean that very specifically, right? That, That is, is it, does it fit the revolution? Does it advance the revolution, right? So, for example, in the Soviet Union, there was a official state form of architecture, right? Because there are other forms of architecture were bourgeois, right? And celebrated bourgeois values. And so that form of architecture had to be done away with, right? When I hear artists celebrating socialism, I always want to say, dear friend, (laughs) uh, do, do, do you really know what you're you're doing, do you want to be part of, uh, do you want to be somebody who is locked into, right? Only thinking proletarian thoughts, only uh, producing proletarian uh, works of art. You know, probably one of the greatest critiques of totalitarianism and Marxism uh, that you could ever read is the book 1984. Uh, and, And in there, right, I mean, it's, it's really about, you know, changing your thought, <laughs> right? Right. You know, at, at some point, you know, the guy who's torturing the main character, he does torture him, right? Um, he is, he's dead set on getting the guy to admit that two plus two equals five, right? And, you know, that, that, that once he can break his mind's attachment to the truth, then he can become a safe member of society, a productive, uh, healthy member of society in that warped society's perspective. But do you see the point, uh, what, I, what I'm making here about the way in which thought and culture and art all have to be subordinated 
to um, the political cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two things. So first you made Catholic Studies at Academy sound way cooler, I think, than it actually is. You know, we're part of the counter-revolution. Uh, um, secondly, um, I think with one of the... Um, <laughs> with uh, with the, the, the idea... And again, if, if, if for, for our listeners, if you, if you can't see the video, uh, uh, if you think of politics being the big umbrella mm -hmm. under which everything else is shoved, so mm -hmm. philosophy, uh, uh, religion, if you even want to have it, everything gets shoved under this, this, under this uh, uh, political uh, narrative or this political lens to where everything mm -hmm. should be viewed in terms of politics. And if, you're, if your politics is advancing the revolution, right. then everything, uh, like you said, gets subordinated to that particular political view. Uh, right, right, that is right. so that is so dangerous that is that is you know, <laughs> one, and, and not to mention not to mention dangerous but that's boring i mean it's, it's exactly it's, yes it's it's, it's it's it enfeebles life it's so funny because for somebody like marx who thinks you know our, our creativity is is important right there's nothing more you know mind-numbingly uh destructive right yeah of yeah. uh creativity i mean you look at all the buildings that were built you know during the Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's like you know an exercise of being purposefully ugly, um, and and one of the things that's really telling, right, is you know the Kremlin where the where the Politburo met on a regular basis was built during the Tsarist times. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they kept meeting in the old Tsarist castle right? <laughs> rather than in anything built <laughs> under the proletariat's uh, <laughs> dictatorship, right? So it's kind of hypocritical, but. Um, in any event, that you get the point, and it, it's, um, uh, I think, you know, just a, a side of Marxism that we don't sort of see, right, so that that actually, too often, it doesn't come out. But actually, you know, if you start listening for it, you start looking for it, right, Yeah. you'll see that this is actually going on all the time. Yeah, um, absolutely. That what political correctness is really about is the idea that modes of speech statues, uh, all kinds of things, right? Have to all be subordinated to um, uh, the revolution or they get canceled and destroyed. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and, that's, the, and that's the scary thing that, you know, again, when you, when you look at, you know, Marxist revolutions and things like that, like it begins with, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the removal of, of um, parts of history, it begins right. with uh, speech, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and it soon, you know, moves on to to bigger things like religion, and uh, mm -hmm. like you said, the monasteries, uh, uh, to to try to remove entire mm -hmm. institutions that are again right. politically incorrect. Um, right, right. This is one of the most depressing podcasts yeah. I think we've done in a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I think we can take great hope in, right, is that. The Marxism is contrary to nature. Yeah. Um, and because it's contrary to nature, you know, it's going to be violent and it's going to, you know, which is unfortunate. Uh, but because it's contrary to nature, uh, and I mean nature in the, in the good natural law sense and the you know, design of God sure. uh, sense, um, it is bound to fail. Uh, unfortunately, the, you know, the manifestation of that failure uh, over time, it seems to take a long time. Um, 
but uh, nevertheless, it is uh, it's bound to fail because it's contrary to you know right reason, contrary to the faith. Um, uh, in addition to that, I think that there is a, a pretty, I think there's a growing, along with people being, for some reason, attracted to Marxism. Um, I think there is a growing recognition uh, again that Marxism has returned as a threat. Um, and that it's that it's evil, right? Uh, and needs to to be uh, overcome, uh, overcome and rejected. But I think you know, really, it's more. It's you know, Marxism is kind of depressing. It's interesting. Marx said, you know, all philosophers until now have merely wanted to contemplate the world, whereas the true philosopher wants to change it. And you would say, well, Marx, you, you, you definitely changed things, yeah. Um, yeah, right. you know, for the worse, <laughs> right? Uh, you just look at the, the history of Marxism and country and Marxist movements, and it's really uh, wretched. But, the, um, but I think, you know, we've also seen it fall, right? Yeah. I mean, we, like in my lifetime, you know, uh, uh, I saw it fall. Now it's come back again, but I think it's kind of, again, it's contrary to right reason and contrary to faith. Yep. Um, and because of that, you know, we can know that it's it's inevitably going to uh, um, decline and fall. And I think, you know, you, the more you bring light on it, right, the more you see, right, you know, the wrong anthropology, the wrong understanding of the good, mm-hmm. and the wrong understanding of the relationship between thought and politics, right, points us actually in the right direction, right, yeah. which is that the human person uh, it is a worker, but more than a worker. That the human good includes work, but it's more than work. Uh, and that although thought is um, influenced by material conditions, thought also influences those conditions, right? So I think, you know, those are three things that in terms of looking at Marxism critically, those are three good things, right? Uh, for us to uh, hold on to and to espouse. Yeah, and if we could, and if we had time, we could throw the you know fourth one in there with with regards to private property. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And we've talked a little bit about that here before, mm-hmm. with uh, natural law and things like that. Um, uh, you know, that's another big one for uh, a big critique of, of Marxism that again points to the good of man and mm-hmm. uh, 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 the good of society in that way. Um, well, I hope our listeners have have gained a lot from not just this podcast, from, but from you know our little series here, um, to to really try to think through some of the things we hear today, uh, uh, to 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 see kind of the the origins of maybe where they came from uh, philosophically or, or or politically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and to be able to uh, you know uh, fight those um, because one of the things, like you said, is that you know. Uh, in, in our lifetimes, we've seen Marxism fall. Uh, and like, like you said, also, sadly, we've seen it uh, rise again. Uh, you know, our hope should be that we can destroy it uh, uh, in a less bloody way. Uh, and in order to do that, uh, we have to, to fight it ideologically. We have to, we have to first fight it in, in the minds of, of the, the, the people that God has put into our lives um, so the better we can understand uh, this and the better we can understand our Catholic faith, which shines a light on Marxism, which, I mean, you can go and look up, you know, uh, at least 10 popes have condemned uh, communism, Marxism, socialism uh, uh, throughout the 20th century. You can find those. Um, and we can really try to, to fight this ideologically 
uh, uh, so that it doesn't uh, follow the same path that Marx had put forth uh, uh, back then. Uh, so I hope this has been beneficial to all our listeners. Uh, in the meantime, check out all of our content over at Catholic Studies Academy. And until next time, God bless.